When I was in high school, I, I, was, a, uh, I was in FFA. Um, so I would, we, we did all kinds of different projects, judging teams, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that we used to do every single year was we would do a Christmas tree drive. What we would do is there was a dumpster that was put out in front of Central. Um, and the months after, the, you know, the one, two, four months after Christmas, like a year after Christmas when people finally get rid of their Christmas tree, um, we, would, we would do a drive where people would donate them. And then what we would do is we would take them and bring them down to Golden Meadow, to Leeville, something like that. And we would try and just put them out as a way of stop, like to help stop coastal erosion. Now, I don't know if you realize this, um, our state loses a lot of land every day. Uh, I think it's every hour we lose a football field worth of land. Now, that's not deep. That's stretched out all the way across the state. So it's just a scratch at a time. But that scratch over years and years and years has basically lost a ton of land south of the intercoastal, south of the floodgates. Uh, and if you've ever, if you, like, if you remember as a kid, 20, if you're a little bit older and you, you remember as a kid driving maybe 20, 30 years ago over the Leeville Bridge, there was a lot more land that you could see. Now that's pretty much all water. But what we did as, uh, as a class, as a, as a club, we would go down and we would put these tre trees out. And I remember uh, our ag teacher, Mr. Roddy Bro, right, looking at us and saying, when we go down, what we're going to do is we're going to try and save this little island that we found. Okay, awesome. So we go out first year, freshman year, put our trees out, everything's laid out, it's all good. Great. Feel like we did something, we accomplished something, we come home, awesome. Next year comes around, well, hey, our island, it's like halfway still there, but we're gonna, we, we're gonna try and, we're gonna really try and keep it this time, okay? So we go out, put our trees out, done, come home. Next year comes around, well, our, our island now is really just kind of a bank, but hey, we're gonna still try and save it. We're gonna, we're gonna still go out there and put them out. Put our trees out, same story, come home. By senior year, our island's gone. But hey, we can, we can maybe try and save the levee a little bit. You see, thing like coastal erosion, I, it doesn't get the press because it's not happening fast. Or it's not something that's very obviously happening, right? It's something that's, that's going on, but it's just kind of slowly happening. One, stretch, one scratch at a time. It's a little bit at a time. Every day, a little bit more and a little bit more, and the coastline continues to creep closer and closer and closer. This isn't a doomsday thing. This is just a reality, right? It got so bad that one day I was, uh, I was, I, I was reading a couple of different articles, and one popped up that was interesting. It said uh, that there was a push going on with this one group that they wanted to change the state shape that's on our highway signs. You know, Louisiana always has that iconic boot shape, right? We've always been, and it's kind of like ankle down is really Louisiana, right? And if you run like the toe part, that's really Louisiana, but everything else is just kind of West Texas or Arkansas. Um, but like when you look at the state, it's this boot. And what they said was, they were, they were saying every other state, the, the silhouette of the state, the shape of the state that people know is livable land. And they said, what we want to do is we want to show Louisiana's livable land. And if you look at Louisiana's livable land, about a third to half of the state you lose. Because it's not, it's, it's not livable. It's swamp or marsh. 
And it was a way to kind of raise awareness of what's going on. So they were going to appeal to the, they were trying to get a petition going to try and do something in Congress to, change, to officially change Louisiana's state shape. See, without, without realizing it, one scratch at a time, a little bit at a time, what's happened is, is that the landscape of our, of our state has literally changed from under us. Now, still, when we drive on the road, we see the same old iconic boot. We can pretend it's not happening. The landscape is different. Today's gospel... The reason why we read the longer version today is because the very beginning of it, they, Jesus, when he's speaking, uses a very, very particular statement to talk to his apostles, to talk to his followers. He uses the statement, he calls them his little flock. You little flock. Now, when we hear that, we just think, oh, it's not that many people that he's talking to. But in, in the, a Jewish ear would hear that a little bit differently. You see, that was a, a, like, we're going to do Jewish, we're going to do about 5,000 years of history in about 10 seconds, right? So the Jewish tradition is, is that the Israelites were enslaved. They came out of slavery, out of Egypt. Moses does the whole Red Sea thing. They walk through. There's a, they, they, the water covers back up and bye-bye Pharaoh, right? Now they walk, through the, they walk through the desert for the next 40 years. And during that 40 years, they're testing God over and over. God says, I'm going to give you a promised land, and they continue to question and grumble against them. I don't know, man. We're still walking around. You couldn't have, like, gave Moses a map? Like, seriously, where's this promised land? Like, come on. They're walking through this desert for 40 years. An entire generation passes away in the desert. And they continue to question, like, man, come on. When are we going to get to it? Until finally... They received the promised land from God. And that promised land is Jerusalem. That promised land is what we know as Jerusalem today. That's where they settle. That's where they build their, their, their temple. That's where the center of all Jewish faith is there. And they recognize how, and like in the, in the temple worship, they would read the history of the Israelite people. And they, like our Old Testament, they would read it and they would see how faithful God was during the exodus, during that time of 40 years in the desert. But after a generation or two has the promised land and is living in the promised land, what happens? They get a little bit comfortable. They start questioning how faithful they're going to be to God. They don't, they don't offer sacrifice of first fruits. They offer their second or their third. Right? They offer sacrifice, but it's not the perfect one. It's not the one that God actually asks, and it's just good enough. Well, they don't follow the Lord's commands, and they get taken over. Most of the people, most of the Israelites, during, get exiled from the promised land, but there's a small portion of them that are left in the promised land during the exile, and that group is called the remnant. It's the little group that's left, and the remnant historically is looked at as a small group that stayed strong in their faith. A small group that was faithful to God under persecution. That's who Jesus, that's when Jesus says, little flock, that's the thing that attaches to people's minds. Like when they're hearing this, when they're hearing Jesus say these words, they think the remnant. They think the small group that's left behind. 
Well, if we think about it with those ears, if we think about that phrase in a technical way, we can think of it along the lines of, of something that, was, that, that made its rounds on social media this week. This week, uh, there's a report that came out. It was a Pew Research study of Catholics in the United States. And they asked the Catholics, Catholics a very, very simple question. And, the, and I got to be honest, like it was a surprising result. He said, do you believe in the Eucharist? Do you believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the bread and wine at Mass that we receive is Jesus? 69% of Catholics in America don't believe in the Eucharist. Almost 70%, almost three-quarters of the people that identify themselves as Catholic in our world, in, in the United States today, say that that is just a symbol. That's not Jesus. That should, let, let, let's let that sink in for a second. Because we got, we got three quarters of our people, literally, that are saying, I don't believe the central tenet of my faith but I still am Catholic. That should, that, that should wait. That, that should be something that weighs down on all of us. I, I remember when I first heard, when I first saw the stat, when I was first reading, I'm sitting, I'm thinking, who do I blame for that? We can blame a lot of people. We could blame the clergy. We could blame the laity. We could blame a lot of people for bad catechesis or some kind of like moral apathy or just an idea of like any, anything really goes. You can be spiritual but not religious and all this other stuff. We could blame a lot of people. But one of the things that I noticed that no one was blaming was that the reality is, is that our battle is not against the culture. Our battle today is not, and St. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Romans, our battle is not against a culture, it's not against people, it's not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spirits and, and principalities. Now the reality is, is that we have a spiritual battle going on in our church, in our world today, that puts us basically God and his kingdom against the kingdom of the enemy, of Satan. There's a line drawn. And the reality is that in this battle, if Satan wants to win, there are two places that he's going to attack first. The Eucharist and the priesthood. That if Satan wants to win this fight, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to make Catholics believe that what happens on this altar right here does not bring Jesus. He's going to make us believe that today that God is distant. And he's far from you, and he's not, he's not concerned with what's going on in your life. We know it's a lie. But if Satan wants to win, the first thing he can do is he can say, God is distant. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really know. God is not reaching out to you today. So where do we look? We don't look for him in the places that he said he would be. On the altar. The second thing, the second place he, would, he is going to attack is he's going to attack the minister behind the altar who says the words. 
He's going to attack the person who stands there and represents Christ to people. Now, don't get me wrong. Priests in a long, for a long time have fallen short in representing Christ. And some of it is very, very public. We're not going there today. I'll be the first to tell you that I fall short every day in representing Christ. And I'll continue to fall short every day in representing Christ. But I hope and pray that you pray for me and that I can pray to the Lord for mercy on my soul for not reflecting Christ perfectly. But the reality is, is that regardless of my shortcomings, regardless of the holiness of the priest, regardless of any of those other factors that went because a bishop, an apostle, put his hands on my head and said a prayer, that when I say the words behind this altar, that this is my body, I'm speaking the words of Christ. It may sound like me, it may look like me, but it's Jesus' sacrifice again given to us. You know, 2,000 years ago at the, whole, at the Last Supper, Jesus didn't say, it, didn't say it for one time and that was it. And every other time, we just kind of mime it or pretend or do a play where we remember it. Jesus said it, it echoes throughout, the, throughout history, and whenever we say it again today, that this is my body and this is my blood, that the same sacrament, the same words, the same spirit that was at the Last Supper is present on that altar. And we're surrounded by the church again. It's not 12. In an upper room in Jerusalem. It's a couple of hundred. In a church. Behind a hospital in Raceland. You see, today, the, the same sacrifice, the same sacrament is represented again. Not represented, but represented, is given again, is shown again. And, it's, and God is giving himself to you and to me. And in such a powerful way, our world doesn't want to believe it. Like such a powerful reality is something that if we, don't, if we don't recommit ourselves to, if we don't sit before the Lord and let Him show us and let Him feed us with His love, it's going to look a lot like erosion. It's going to look a lot like our coastline. And the landscape's going to change from under our feet. You know, Pope Benedict once said, he once said, look, we're going to have, a, the church is about to go through a persecution. And he said this about 10 years ago. But the church is about to go through a persecution where the status in the world is not going to look the same. The status in the world is not going to be the same. But the faith is going to be lived out in smaller communities that are vibrant and strong. 30% of Catholics believe in the Eucharist. That's a smaller community. My question to us today, is it vibrant and strong? Is our faith today vibrant and strong? Because if we're falling into a culture war, we're going to lose. If we're falling into trying to make the, the bulletin look the best it can be or the website look the best it can be, yeah, we can do a couple of things, but the reality is it ain't going to look the same as Amazon or something like that. The reality is, is that our, our stuff, it doesn't need to, because we've got the sacraments to fall back on. We've got Jesus lifting up this whole thing. We've got our Lord reaching out to us individually today.
There are two kingdoms that are at war. There are two kingdoms that are fighting. And today in our gospel, after Jesus addresses the little flock, the next thing he says, do not be afraid any longer, little flock. He's saying, do not be afraid any longer, little flock. Father is pleased to give you his kingdom. We want to build up the faith. We want to build up the kingdom of God in our world today. A kingdom that the world needs. The shining light on the hill. Whatever, we, whatever phrase we want to use. If we want to build up that kingdom. Let's start looking within. Let's start looking at myself. There are a couple of places that we can look at ourselves and say, am I investing in the kingdom of God? Or am I investing in the kingdom of the world? There are a couple of places that I know that if we want to examine ourselves, we want some like some just clear data. Two places that we can look. First, I know me. I have to put everything on my calendar. If I don't put stuff on a calendar, stuff gets lost. Stuff gets missed. It just happens. A good place to look. Am I investing my time? Am I investing my time? in things that build the kingdom of God. And it's an honest question. It's an honest examination because the reality is, is guess what? I could spend a lot of time on Facebook and social media messing around on my phone. I can do that with the best of them. But do I invest time into the things that build up the kingdom? Second place. And this is the one that's a little bit more uncomfortable for me to talk about because I'm a new priest, I'm a young priest, and we don't like talking about this. But the reality is, is that we invest in things that we, that we love, the things that we know, that we build up our treasure where we, where we invest our money. Just go look at your last month. I know, I know me, I, Amazon's really close. And that cart and that wish list is really easy just to click and to click and to click. And I'm sure Gretchen and Diana are tired of getting packages that I'm buying all, like for myself, just useless things. But the reality is, is where am I investing money? Where am I investing my time? Where am I investing my money? Where am I building up treasure? Because if it's treasure that's for this world, it's passing, it will die and decay with everything else. But if it's treasure that builds up the kingdom of heaven, that builds up my stock in heaven, it's eternal. It's lasting. Today, when we come to receive the Eucharist, we come to receive God, who wants nothing more than to invite you into heaven. He steps down from heaven today to meet you and I in the blessed sacrament. He steps down through the hands of His priest that have been consecrated for the sake of doing the sacraments to meet you. He set all this stuff up before he died for you and I. He comes to meet us. As a way of examination, where am I investing back in him? Today we come to receive, we come to receive the Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity, where he invests everything in us. Today, very simply, what are we giving back? What are we giving back? Of our time, our treasure, but really, what are we giving back of ourselves? Of ourselves. May we invest everything back in the Lord.
who has given everything to us.